After four grueling months, the American sports landscape has begun to reshape itself to adapt to the global pandemic. While you can still watch your favorite players on the MLB field or in the NBA bubble, how you view the games has certainly changed. On today's episode, we'll be sitting down with Frank Wall to discuss the current state of sports broadcasting and advertising. Frank serves as the Senior Vice President at Turner Sports, where you might know him best for his work overseeing Bleacher Report, the NBA on TNT, and even March Madness. Additionally, Frank will be giving his own perspective on the reopening of sports, general business strategy for acquiring new companies in the sports industry, and even some general life advice. You're listening to the newest Market Side Chat. All right. We now love to welcome Frank Wall onto the podcast. Frank is a senior vice president at Turner Sports. Frank, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Hope, uh, hope everybody's doing well and staying healthy. Yeah, we're doing our best. And we hope you are too. Um, so, Frank, to start it off, you know, we know you have a pretty extensive background in publishing and advertising. We'd love to know how that got you to where you are today. Yeah, so um, I started out my career in uh, in the television advertising business uh, right out of college. I worked for the ABC affiliate up in Madison, Wisconsin. And then, uh, and then digital media was, was starting to take off and I moved over to that space and, um, I was working for a newspaper company, a network of newspapers, and I was leading their digital sales efforts. And we started packaging up print and digital together. And, uh, that became a really effective advertising strategy for marketers. And then Time Incorporated, which is a huge publishing company, um, formerly timing. Uh, now they were acquired by Meredith, but, uh, they recruited me over there because, you know, their, their digital business was taking off and we were really trying to build out a team that could market both magazines and digital. And, uh, and that was a great run. I worked at time magazine. Uh, I moved, I ran our LA office and then ultimately my last job there, I was the publisher of sports illustrated, which is really where I got into the sports business. And, um, and that was a lot of fun. You know, the brand was, uh, you know, that, that's a very iconic brand and they had, uh, the company had been investing heavily in digital. Uh, and at the time we had a relationship with Turner Broadcasting, with the sports division of Turner. And I got to know the leadership there and, uh, and an opportunity came along to join, uh, to join these guys at a time when, uh, we were really, really putting, uh, the pedal to the metal. We invested in Bought Bleacher Report, which is a, I'm sure, an app that you guys all have on your phones. And uh, you know, we were, uh, we had gotten in business with March Madness, and you know, we have that contract through the year of 2032. We're in partnership with the NBA through 2025. Um, we have a relationship with Major League Baseball. We broadcast in regular season games in the postseason. So it was really an opportunity, I think, to kind of really kind of come back to my original roots in TV, but, you know, really taking advantage of the power of live sports in the, uh, in the media landscape today, you know, live is, as people are shifting to, you know, streaming services, it's really hard to reach consumers live if you're an advertiser, but uh, sports and, and news is certainly two content verticals where that can be done. So it's, it's, a, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a, it's been a fun ride for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, 
just getting right into it, you hinted at it, hinted at it a little bit earlier, but you know, clearly there's a big difference in how the MLB has been proceeding with the pandemic compared to like the NBA and the NHL who, you know, are currently contained within the bubble. So I guess my question is, do you think the MLB is handling the situation appropriately or do you think the MLB MLB should be in a bubble or is that just not feasible? Um, well, if they could be in a bubble, I think they would. Okay. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, it, there is no doubt it is the safest protocol. Um, but if it's, you know, you have teams all over the country, it's really, it's really challenging to do. Um, you know, they're playing with a short, they're playing against the shortened season as well. So, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that it's, it's really hard, you know, as we all know, it's just, it's hard to contain this virus if, if individuals are not being, safe and social distancing and all that kind of stuff. And when you have teams that are traveling back, you know, crisscrossing across states, it's hard for that to really be effective. Um, you know, the NBA, well, before I get to the NBA, you know, Major League Baseball is determined to make this season work. Rob Manfred is, uh, I think, a, a pretty, uh, pretty confident leader in the sense that he is determined to really see this thing through. So if, you know, teams have to take a pause because of a, of a flare-up, then they're, they're going to do that. But the, the league, from everything that they're saying to us, is that they want to persevere. Um, but, you know, to your point, you know, the bubble is, is an incredibly powerful uh, deterrent of this, of, this, uh, of this virus because, you know, we have – between us and ESPN, we have a few hundred employees, you know, that are, you know, that are, ser- that are servicing the bubble in terms of being able to produce games down there. You got the players. Just 10 days ago, uh, all 344 uh, players had uh, tested negative. So they've got it contained. And, uh, you know, assuming that everybody remains responsible and, you know, sticks to the guidelines, then, uh, you know, we'll be crowning a champion here at some point in the uh, middle of October. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the things that we've kind of been looking at is the kind of how the pandemic has affected different business models. And and I'm sure, you know, with the restructuring of the season, there, there had to be a lot of different changes on your end in the, in the advertising space. Um, you know, with the NBA going kind of doing like an, a bridge season, um, as well as the MLB, um, do you maybe want to speak to how, how that kind of changed your, you know, trajectory for the year or what you were planning on, uh, rolling out initially, or if nothing's changed or. Well, no, I wish nothing changed. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, everything changed. Yeah. Um, you know, when this all started, it was the, you know, second week of March and we were, uh, a week away from the, the first tip of the March Madness tournament. And that, that entire tournament got canceled. So, yeah. um, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that went up in smoke uh, from an advertising perspective. Yeah. And we, you know, we worked very closely with our advertising partners to try to find a home. But, you know, to your, to, I think to the point that you're alluding to, a lot of businesses are hurting because of this. And so we really had to be flexible with our partners you know, I mean, car companies stopped manufacturing cars and started manufacturing ventilators. Yeah. So the, so the automotive advertisers, they were in a tough spot. And uh, movie companies, which we do a ton of business with, you know, movie stu- or movie theaters shut down. So now 
you know, Warner Brothers and and uh, Disney have no have no way to get their their films on the screen. So it, it impacted us in a pretty big way. The, the, the one thing that helped us was that um, was the NBA didn't cancel the season. They just paused it. So all of our advertising partners, you know, we worked with uh, to say, like, hang with us. Let's wait and find out what's going to happen with the rest of the season. And if the season cancels, then, then you know, we understand why you, you want to take your money back and put it in the bank. Um, and a lot of them worked with us. And they, so they kept the, the expression that, you know, I've been using is they, they held on to their parking garage spot. And so that way, when we were able to come back to, you know, even a modified season, we were able to keep all of our sponsorships intact and all those marketers who were patient with us uh, are now really seeing the, the benefit of, you know, the fact that there's so many people are watching these games and, you know, we've really created some, I think some pretty innovative, um, you know, advertising and sponsorship positions. If you look at the court, um, when you watch the telecast, what you, the logos that you're actually seeing on the basketball court are the team logos. So the home team's local sponsors are getting courtside visibility, courtside signage is what we call it. <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's really, it's, it's been an incredible partnership working with the leagues, with the teams and, you know, with the, with the sponsors and advertisers that support the NBA and, uh, on a day-to-day basis. Hi, Frank. To kind of touch on that, what I've noticed, because I was watching the Lakers play last night, and one thing I noticed uh, more than anything was how much space there was on the sides of the courts and on the uh, both ends of the courts. And this allows a lot of space for like um, bigger advertisements. And that's kind of like what caught my eye uh, more than anything is how large these advertisements were. Um, can you speak on the viewership that you've been getting uh, more recently now that um, these sports has kind of started back up? Yeah, I mean, our viewership numbers are up. So that, the good news is that um, you know there, we we knew going in we were pretty we were pretty bullish that there was going to be a lot of um, a lot of demand a lot of pent up demand for for basketball. Um, you know we originally we immediately started working uh, to identify what were going to be the things that we were going to be able to do that would be different with the new season and in and in the inside of the you know the bubble arena. And those big open spaces, because of obviously social distancing, uh, became a pretty interesting canvas for us to work with um, and, and monetize from an advertising perspective. And we worked very closely with the NBA on it. Uh, you know, it's obviously their intellectual property, but, you know, we write them a pretty big check every year for the rights to broadcast these games. So we have a, a wonderful partnership with them. And, uh, and, you know, we identified some really great, you know, great white space for marketers to take advantage of. You know, we think the, um, you know, it, coming out of the gates, I think that, you know, fans were, meaning, you know, t- television fans and, and digital fans of the NBA were very interested and curious to see what it was going to be like inside of that bubble. And um, so we, we knew we were going to see a pretty, pretty nice lift coming right out of the gates. But what, what we're seeing now is we're actually sustaining those audiences. So, you know, obviously the Lakers are playing great. Um, I think everybody would like to see Zion playing more than 15 minutes a game. I know. It's so, uh, so disappointing. <laughs> I know. Believe me that we, that first night, uh, last Thursday, the, the, um, the 30th, we had, uh, the Pelicans and jazz in, in our first game. And then we had Lakers Clippers in our game two on, on TNT. And, uh, 
And, you know, so now you recall a few weeks back, Zion had to return home to New Orleans for yeah. some type of family emergency. I don't think we ever actually ever heard what happened, but then he had to quarantine for two weeks before, you know, because he had left the bubble and had come back. Uh, and then we heard he was going to play. We were all excited. And then it was like all of a sudden, <laughs> night of the game, we find out they're going to limit his play. But I just don't, don't understand. I just don't understand. He's a, they're in like the ninth seed position. Don't they? I mean, they got to make the playoffs. And they, they they played what Memphis the other day, who's also a playoff potential playoff contender. I just don't understand why they're not, you know, putting Zion in to get that full, you know, to get those wins that are critical. Yeah, it's it's really important, and I think that um, look, I think they're gonna. They're, that's a long term investment. Not, yeah. Nobody needs to explain that to this group of people. You know, uh, the importance of a long term investment, the long play, but. Um, you know, this is this is this is just one of those kind of like uh, strange seasons that I think that if I'm a team owner, I'm 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 looking at it saying, do I want to worry so much about this year versus really being focused on next year? So I think that plays into it. Yeah, but, definitely. But the men. Memphis has got to win a game now. <laughs> no, they do. <laughs> they haven't won. They, they haven't won a game I yet. I know. I know. Well, well, it's weird because the style of play um, w- with no fans is just a little different when you're watching the games now um, inside the bubble. Um, th- the players, it seems like it's a little more uh, travel basketball-like, um, and, and guys are kind of like doing their thing. Uh, so it's kind of a weird thing to be, to be watching at the same time. Yeah, it does, it does feel a lot like a pickup game to me, you know, where as opposed to when you're, when you're – you know, when you're playing, you know, in a, in a packed arena and you have, I mean, we've done a good job of, I think, introducing a lot of like the fan noise, you know, fan crowd noises and things like that into the arena so that these guys feel like they're, you know, the only thing, the, the only thing we're not, you know, or pardon me, the only thing that we're listening to is the squeaking of the shoes. Um, you know, I think that, I think that that's helped, but once, you know, these guys, these guys have been sitting around their houses for three and a half months and they're finally back playing these, these eight games, these seeding games, I look at it as like spring training. You know, I think once, once we get to the point where we move into the round one and round two of the playoffs, I think those guys, you know, and professional athletes in general take it to, they take it to a whole nother level with their mindset and mentality and, uh, and their competitiveness. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, uh, one of the highlights of, of, uh, of the sports world during COVID was the, uh, the last dance, the documentary about the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think we all saw it. And, yeah. And, uh, Jack and I are obviously, uh, have a, have a very strong affinity to that team. But, uh, <laughs> one of the thoughts that, one of the things that Jordan said that was really, really stuck with me was when they were really drilling him on on the gambling thing. And he said, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition problem. And I think that that's, that's really, I mean, gambling aside, I think that's really, when you're an elite professional athlete, your, your competition level just is, is, is a whole nother gear in the car. Mm -hmm. And these guys, I think once they get to that point, you're going to, I think you'll get back to seeing what like normal play looks like you know in a in a non-pandemic but yeah. it's gonna be fun that's for sure who do you who do you have as a uh finals matchup uh lakers bucks 
Okay. Yeah. I think that I think they're both think they're both shoe ins. <laughs> and I, I, that'll be that'll be fun to watch. Now, the problem is the Lakers are probably going to walk away with it because I don't think they're as deep as the Bucks. Um, but you know, this guy Giannis and that team. I mean, they're young and scrappy and 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 fun to fun to watch play. So. But I know that I know that was a cop out. They're both the top seeds right now, anyway. But Sorry. it's uh, I think that that's, I think it's the most likely outcome. I think there's a couple solid contenders in the Western Conference. Like the Clippers and Lakers could obviously be a great Western Conference championship. Um, but also the the Rockets look pretty solid too. Yeah, yeah, and the Rockets haven't lost a game yet. Yeah, I think they've I think they played two or three games. I think they've played three, but I, I don't. I don't. I don't think they've lost the game yet. Yeah, and uh, and you know they're stacked too, so it's gonna be. It'll be interesting. It's gonna be very interesting fall. We haven't even talked about college football, college and pro football yet. Um, you know, which are which are I think still very big question marks. Uh, to my knowledge, I haven't heard any uh, contingency planning happening at the NFL. Which is, uh, which I would, you know, I mean, I can tell you with the NBA. I mean, they 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 were working day and night to try to identify the right alternatives for for how to how to play this, how to play the, you know, some shortened season in playoffs. But you know, it'll be uh, it'll be pretty boring if if all of a sudden our our basketball ends and baseball ends and there's no football. God knows we all love watching pro and college football yeah i yeah. certainly won't know what to do this fall if there's no football but um frank going back to the mlb and the nba i feel as if over the last 10 years or so even before covid there was definitely a growing divide in terms of age groups and who's watching each sport uh we specifically see you know um, more and more young people watching the nba um so do you feel as if this whole covid situation has just accelerated that yeah you know they definitely they definitely reach different audiences for sure. Major League Baseball is a little bit older, uh, a little bit more middle America. The NBA is younger, more multicultural, educated. And, uh, and I think that, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, I think that the NBA's audience is so compelling to young people is because you know, these, a lot of these players are obviously super active on social media, so you really get to you really get a sense of who these who these you know men and women, by the way. I mean, we're not. I mean, we should include the WNBA in that in that reference. You know, they're they're definitely much more. Um, you know, their personalities come out a lot more, and I think that that helps keep the NBA younger. It's obviously very global too, um, whereas Major League Baseball is obviously, for the most part you know, North America, obviously. And, you know, those, for whatever reason, I don't, you know, I don't see those guys out as much, you know, they're not as um, forward leaning. Um, and then I also think you have to acknowledge, uh, you know, the, the, the time period that we're in right now and everything kind of happening, you know, post George Floyd and, and, you know, the black lives matter movement has really, um, you know, emboldened I think a lot of the players are really leaning into that and I think that uh young people are you know they're super supportive of it so it's uh I think all of that is contributing to the 
to the growth that that we've seen, particularly over the last couple of months. But you know, over the course of the last several years, I think that you know all those things have played into why you know ba- basketball has been able to resonate more with a younger audience. And but baseball's got a very stable audience. I mean, this is you know they don't call it America's pastime for nothing. Yeah, I guess part of my thought process is that, you know, with a shortened MLB season, this is the first time where, like, important MLB games are overlapping with very important NHL and NBA games. Yeah, I think, I, you know, I mean, like I said before, I mean, I think there's been so much pent-up demand for live sports. I think people are watching everything, um, you know. But, and, and I'll say this, too, you know, hockey, um, I'm not as close to the dem- – we're not in the business with hockey. Um, so I'm, I'm not super in the weeds on their, on their ratings and, uh, audience engagement, but I feel like, you know, NBC has done a really good job with the NHL, making it more accessible. And it's by nature, it's a younger league just because a lot of these, a lot of these pros are younger, literally younger. And I think they resonate with, with young people too. So it's, uh. It's and it's an exciting game. I, I, I'm pretty sure all you guys are big hockey fans. I know Jack is for sure. But uh, you know, it's definitely one of those sports that's just very exhilarating to watch. And I think with as a result of high definition televisions and and better um, broadcast production equipment, you know, the game has gotten so much better to watch on television. It's always the best when you're in person. But yeah. For watching it on TV, it's really gotten a lot, uh, a lot tighter. It's interesting say. too with the with the no crowds and everything. They're able to put so many more cameras into these arenas and stuff. Like you can see with the, I think the the game I was watching last night, the basketball game, they had like twenty three courtside cameras and mics. So it really feels like you're almost there, <laughs> seeing those new perspectives. Yeah and, and, yeah, and a lot of them are robotic too. Yep. So you you have them being controlled by a man or a woman that's sitting in a production truck that's not even in the arena. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, again, I go back to, you know, what I had said a little bit earlier about just the, the pure innovation. Like when we, um, when this whole thing went down, the president of my, my company is a guy named Lenny Daniels. And Lenny's been in sports media for a long, sports production for a long, long time. And his, he said right out of the gates, what I want everybody to focus on is what is doing a production going to look like in an environment where there's no live fans. And I mean, at that point we didn't even know about the bubble. I mean, we had heard, we had heard that that was a possibility, but you know, he, he and the, the entire production crew really got laser focused on how can we innovate to make this experience on television, you know, as exciting, if not more exciting from the, for the consumer than, you know, a typical game. And I think that, you know, those camera angles, um, you know, all the, uh, all the innovations that we're doing from an audio perspective, you know, we've got a couple of other things that we're still, uh, we're still working around that we would like to introduce in the postseason. That'll be interesting. It's just, uh, you know, I think, I feel like it just has really come together. Now that said, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> he said what he didn't want to, you know, working on was, you know, uh, stunty type events you know, that would just be kind of a distraction. And um, now that was true until we found out that we could get Peyton Manning and Tom Brady to, to compete with uh, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson for the match 2.0, yeah. which was uh, awesome. I mean, it was, one, yeah, of the, it was one of the coolest. 
Yeah, I mean, we raised $20 million for COVID relief. We, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the rain was a central character in that storyline. Uh, you know, Tiger, I thought, put it best. He's like, yeah, I don't normally play in the rain. I mean, if you're Tiger Woods, I wouldn't play in the rain either unless it was a tournament. But, uh, you know, when Brady hit that shot. Yeah, that, I don't know yeah that's I, crazy. Was it for I, Eagle? I, I don't know if you guys hate Tom Brady now. We love him. Oh. <laughs> we still love him. <laughs> All right. The uh, when he hit that shot and split his pants, by the way, in the same in the same exact yeah. <laughs> moment, uh, that that really changed it. And you know, there was smack talk with Charles Barkley, and you know, I thought I thought you know Peyton Manning is a world class guy, world class. And you know, he was he he told a couple funny stories about. Um, the one that was really good was the the day that they, they, they the day before they played a practice round, and uh, and he was uh, I guess he had Tiger's caddy on his bag, mm-hmm. but you know as soon as the, as soon as it became a competitive match, he you know his caddy wasn't giving him any reads anymore. So <laughs> and he it told a funny version of that story. It was just it was great. So it, it deviated from our original you know. Um, plan our covid plan of not doing anything uh other than just getting prepared for going back to you know normal or new normal i suppose uh live games but that was a that was a real fun one to work on and you know i think almost six million people tuned in to watch that that day so that was great and then um kind of uh you know tying things back to the uh the the MLB and NBA opening because I know that the you know the MLB and the NBA have extensive you know supply chain networks and I was just wondering you know from your perspective are you able to kind of see any you know network effect with the MLB and NBA reopening and you know any businesses getting resurgences because of that restart and season and in viewership yeah I mean I think that. Um... You know, I think definitely for the league sponsors, you know, it gets them back up and active again. Um, you know, I think that it's getting, it's getting their brand out there in front of consumers. So, you know, you know, hopefully, you know, I know like the, the like the beer category got hit pretty hard. Kind of the entire beverage category got hit pretty hard during the pandemic because they lost all the retail business. Um but you know, if you notice, Michelob Ultra has got a really big presence with us on uh, on TNT and, and the NBA. You know, hopefully that you know they see it, they see an uptick from that. You know, um, and especially as you know, restaurants start to open back up and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully, we see we see businesses um, you know getting back up and running again. Same with the automotive companies. Now, you know, they've they've shifted back to manufacturing vehicles again, and people are. You know, people are are getting out and and you know, hopefully buying cars again. Hopefully, we see a pickup in in that business. Um, you know, on the media on the media front, you know, we 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 were very lucky. I, I had mentioned at the top that uh, about ten years ago we bought Bleacher Report, and Bleacher Report is uh, is an incredibly strong digital business. It's got a very avid following of millennial sports fans. Uh, we have a couple of sub brands that are wildly popular. The House of Highlights is probably the, the biggest one. Um, but BR Kicks, which is a sneaker culture sub brand under Bleacher Report, 
you know, all of those, all of those, I'll call them mini businesses were able to thrive during, during the, during the pandemic, despite the fact that we didn't have any live sports, you know, they were able to keep the storytelling narrative going for fans to keep them engaged. Um, and like I had mentioned before, a lot of athletes were very active on social media showing, you know, funny things that, you know, they were doing with their families at home and all of that really, you know, resonates with Leacher Report's audience. So I think we were able to, you know, uh, you know, help our business partners, you know, with, with keeping active during the, during the last five months and, you know, hopefully we can sustain some, some continued growth because the economy certainly needs it. That's for sure. Frank, I have a kind of an off ball question for you. And I want to switch up uh, the conversation a little bit and I want to talk about uh, e-league and uh, the property under Turner sports. I, I know you guys, um, had created or, or bought out uh, E-League in like 2015, 2016. Can you talk about, a little bit about that? And, um, you know, I know a lot of professional athletes like to, like to game online and stuff. And, um, you know, they have big social media presences and stuff like that. So can you speak more on that a little bit? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought it up because gaming is, um, gaming is, is wildly popular. As you know, the numbers are just, are staggering. When we first, uh, back in 2015, you know, we had a, uh, we had a task force that was looking at the space and we were trying to identify, you know, what it is that we could do um, in the space that would be meaningful and in a way for us to engage, you know, that community. And, you know, if you think about, if you think about gaming and esports, you have a couple of different entities. You've got the publishers who make the game the software companies that produce the actual video games that people play. You have the platforms, platforms like Twitch uh, and YouTube. And then you have, um, and then you have the gamers themselves. And, you know, all of these, you know, all of these uh, constituents were kind of all swimming around. There was nobody really that was, and by the way, you also have the tournament promoters, the people that like the ESLs. And nobody was kind of coming in saying, let's, let's, let's put a big kind of, I don't, I don't want to say a governing body, but let's put, let's put a big ribbon around all of this to see if that way, you know, somebody could be, you know, an organizing body around, around gaming. And we represent the NCAA. So we, we, we know a lot about what that's like. And um, our chief content officer, Craig Berry, very smartly from the very beginning said, we're, we're not going to dive into the deep end of the pool on the thing. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to dip our toe in because the one thing about the, the gaming community is that if you, if, and especially if you're a brand, if you try to force yourself into that conversation, you're going to get alienated quickly. They, the gaming community is all about authentic voices, authentic experiences. And so we started out slowly. We partnered with CSGO because they're one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest games that, that people are, uh, that people are playing in competitions. And uh, it's also PC based. So it's, you know, it's a game that every, you know, a lot has access to a lot more people than just console. And, you know, we got off the, we got out, out of the gates really pretty well. We built a studio down on our, uh, on our campus in Atlanta. Um, 
can hold a few hundred hundred uh, fans to watch live competition. And then over the course of the next year, we started to diversify. We worked with different publishers. We worked with Rocket League. Um, in the past year, we've developed a almost like a red zone, like the NFL red zone, but for, for gaming. Uh, we did it in partnership with Twitch. It's called Super Punch. And it's a pretty fun, uh, it's a nightly show. Uh, we broadcast it on TBS on Friday night. And it kind of goes across the gaming community looking at, you know, highlights from, from different competitions, talking to the different personalities in the gaming space. And it's highly entertaining. And, uh, and I think it's just an evolution of what we've, what we did with, what we've done with E-League from going from, you know, producing tournaments to now producing shows around the competition. So it's been a, uh, it's been an incredible, um, it's been an incredible journey. The other thing too is over the course of the last couple of years, we got acquired by AT&T and AT&T is very interested in the gaming space, obviously to reach that, that demographic, that young millennial demo. And, uh, so we're, um, we're, you know, we're trying to work very closely with them on a unified strategy for what e-league will continue to be down the road. So, but we're, we're very, uh, we saw that as a very natural place to invest much like we would with any of our traditional league partners. And I can imagine that only prepared you pretty well for um, what was to come with live sports in America um, during this quarantine too. Yeah. A lot of people turn to gaming, Yeah, especially, especially a lot of those pro athletes, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a gamer myself. I've, I mean, I just, I, I was never good at it. So I never really tried all that hard, but it's a, uh, but the numbers are staggering. I mean, the, you know, the, the amount, not only just the, the, you know, the tens of millions of people that are, that are not just, you know, not just the gamers themselves, but the people that are watching the gamers play uh, is nuts. And then you think about the amount of time spent doing that. You know, we saw numbers where, you know, on average, you've got 20 million people streaming and they're doing it for two and a half to three hours a night. I mean, that's, that's that's about as good of an engagement metric as uh, as anyone is ever going to be able to tout. Well, it was funny because at one point during quarantine, they uh, ESPN was, um, I think they were broadcasting like a two K twenty game on like on television, and I think that just goes to show how much uh, people kind of missed live sports more than anything. Yeah, and, and ESPN like they were in they were in this space uh, pretty early on too. They um, they had a, uh, they did a, like a collegiate, uh, tournament. This is going back to 2014, 2015. Uh, I think it was called Heroes from the Dorm or something like that. And, you know, it was, it was college kids competing, you know, against each other and, uh, tournament style, you know, universities versus universities. So it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's, it's highly, uh, relevant when you have people that are, you know, being being asked to stay home and you know uh, socially distance and all the everything that we know that we've been going through with this pandemic, um, and it's certainly a way for people to to engage with each other, but you know as I said in a socially distant way. So, yeah, E League has been uh, it was a good it was a good business decision for us. So Frank, I noticed on Bleacher Report Live that you have a lot of Premier League matches. 
I have to imagine that, that during this halt in American sports, those were pretty important to your platform, correct? Yeah. So, so Bleacher Report Live is the uh, is a is an OTT product that um, is it's actually its own it's its own platform separate from the Bleacher Report app, and uh, and what we do is we stream a variety of different sports uh, games on that platform. So the UEFA Champions League. Uh, we were in partnership with them. We streamed a lot of those games on the platform. We do also for some football clubs across, uh, you know, in, in Europe, in the UK. And then, um, and then we also have a, a portfolio of other emerging sports properties uh, that, you know, are not the, the big, you know, the, the power five, if you will, um, like the National Lacrosse League. We stream those games on BR Live. Uh, World Surf League is another partner where we stream, uh, you know, their events. And we see it as an opportunity to, you know, you know, bring that live game experience to the Bleacher Report fan base. And, um, and we have, I think to your, to your question specifically about global football is that we noticed through our research that there was a, uh, that soccer here in the States, global football, you know, there was a there was a strong demand for that content on the platform, uh, particularly for our, our European user base. And, you know, we knew that, um, you know, because of our fandom with with uh, with Bleach Report here in the United States, that we felt very bullish that we might be able to bring, you know, somebody finally could be, bring, you know, make soccer mainstream here in the United States. And I feel like we've done a really incredible job on doing that. Um, if you noticed when we would broadcast a UEFA Champions League game, we would air those games on Tuesdays and Wednesday afternoons on TNT. And our studio show was, uh, was branded BR Football. And, you know, we, we knew that that, that that brand association was going to be important in terms of pulling that audience, you know, over to television and, and certainly uh, and vice versa. So, you know, we, we, we found that it was, it was Bleacher Report was a really important important part of that uh important part of that strategy for us you know relative to relative to that sport i have a quick question to add on to that um when you're looking for potential clients or like partnerships um what kind of methods do you use and how do you tell um how do you guys decide if if these clients are beneficial for your business like you were saying how you guys uh string um the major league lacrosse like how do you determine whether um how to get into that space or whether or not um, it'd be good to stream those types of games. Well, so we do a lot, we do a lot in the research side of things. We have a, we have an incredible research team that goes out and, you know, identifies, um, you know, where there may be white space. That team is exactly who informed our decision-making um, when it came to the UEFA Champions League, right? Um, we saw that opportunity both with Bleacher Report, but also, you know, migrating, you know, getting those audiences to come over to TNT and hopefully bring down the, you know, the median age of TNT in the same process. So we do a lot uh, in partnership with our research and insights group. And, um, and now, you know, as a, as a, as a division of AT&T, we have an incredible wealth of information because of the sheer vast number of con- direct to consumer relationships that AT&T has you know, we can rely on these folks to really help us make informed decisions about our, about our sports investments thesis. Um, you know, I think the other, 
the other thing we do is we have we have seven offices around the United around the United States where we have um, uh, sales offices, and you know those individuals in those offices go and talk to the marketers in their specific regions and identify uh, where there may be opportunities to partner based on the challenges that that marketer may have at any given moment. So if it's trying to reach a specific demographic group, if it's trying to, uh, if that brand, let's say that brand, for example, really has identified the NBA audience as someone that's really in their sweet spot for, you know, uh, target audience, you know, we can help them navigate the process of becoming an official marketing partner of the NBA. And then obviously, once they're an official partner of the NBA, they can utilize that IP to make much more NBA-centric television commercials uh, or, or advertisements, you know, across all media. Um, you know, think about State Farm as a good example of that. When you see Chris Paul uh, show up in a State Farm ad and then, you know, All-Star Weekends, you know, All-Star Saturday Night presented by State Farm, you know, you can start to really own that audience and in, uh, in, in really take over that, that entire experience in a, in a much more powerful way. We try to help identify, you know, what those opportunities are for our advertising partners, you know, based on the portfolio that we represent, based on the insights that we have from our research and analytics group, and then obviously, you know, what, you know having a, a deep understanding of what that marketer is trying to accomplish. So it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's, one of the things I always say about this business is it's really, if you're creative in terms of being able to put building blocks together uh, and come up with interesting ideas that, you know, that can tie in and help a marketer's, you know, marketing, a, a brand's marketing challenges, it's, it's a really fun business to be in because it's, uh, it's very rewarding when you see all this stuff come together and come to life on TV and, and a, in an event environment and, and things like that. So that's really what, that's our, that's our main objective. Those are the those are the types of tools we utilize to help, you know, identify where those opportunities lie. So, um, kind of segmenting um, a little bit on a more personal note. So, one of the things that we do when we we interview our guests on Marketside Chats is we ask them a little bit about their uh, career progression and if they've you know had any you know notable mentors or notable lessons that they picked up along the way since our, our demographic is largely catered to um, a younger crowd, mainly, you know, high school seniors, college students, and people in their early 20s. Um, so is there like any general like advice or business advice that you uh, would like to point out in your career progression? Because it, it's obviously shown in, in your specialization in sports advertising. Yeah, I've, I've had, I've been lucky. I've had several, um, several great mentors in my career, all of whom I still be, stay very, very close with. Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, there's, while they're, while they all share some similarities in their styles and, and, you know, the way they went about their business, there's also a lot of unique things, um, that makes each one unique. Um, and I had a, I had a boss a long time ago you know, say, uh, you know, one thing in your career is like, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to, you want to replicate the, the good things that people do, but you also want to make sure you pay attention to the things that, that don't work and, and put that into practice. Um, 
the one thing recently that I think, you know, specific Jack, to your question about young adults that are coming into their career is um, we instituted a reverse mentoring program at Warner Media uh, over the last couple of years. And what that means is they assigned, um, it's a volunteer thing, but they took the senior executives and put them in a mentor relationship with some of our more junior uh, or younger employees. And the idea being that they are our mentors. So I'm learning from, you know, I have a a young woman who uh, is now running the HBO Max um, uh, product from an advertising perspective. She's, she's on the task force to figure out how do we bring advertising to the, to that, uh, to that streaming product. And, you know, she was, she was at the time working in our advanced advertising group, which is, uh, you know, where we try to leverage data and insights about our consumers and target specific advertising to those people based on their consumer behavior habits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was, she taught me a ton about kind of the, that next wave of, of what the future of advertising is going to look like. And while that was a very specific program that we put in place, what I found is that, you know, especially the young people that work in our organization, they have a lot of things to say about how we should be thinking about our business, where we should be investing, um, the types of products and, and, the, and the types of services that we're offering. So I guess my advice in this is, is to speak up. And, you know, a lot of times it's, I know for myself, especially my, my younger end of my career, you know, you kind of want to just get in, you want to listen to everybody else. But I think that young people have a lot to uh, share, particularly about the future of the, the media experience, you know, relative to my business. Um, so that would, that would be something that I would recommend is, is uh, you know, don't be afraid to lean in early, early on in your career. You know, Frank, I totally agree. Um, I think that really wraps it up. That's a good place to stop. So uh, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you so much for coming on the show. I think I speak on behalf of all of us by saying, you know, we really appreciate your insight into the reopening of sports. And obviously your whole career progression has been extremely valuable and interesting to hear about. Um, so thank you again. And, you know, we hope you have a great day. Well, thanks for having me. I really uh, am very appreciative of Jack initiating it and uh, and uh, and wish you guys the best of luck. I know that uh, sounds like you're off to a great start with your with your uh, with your entrepreneurial vision. And, uh, you know, congrats to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. so much, man. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good enjoy the rest of the week and uh, tomorrow night on TNT. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> bye bye.